Welcome back to the Flix Forum podcast with Jesse and MJ, where each episode we go back and look at a Netflix original film in the order of release. This is our sixth day of Podmas, mm. where we are putting out an episode every day in the lead up to Christmas. Today, we have Netflix 54th film. It's the 2017 horror drama 1922. It's directed by Zach Hilditch. It stars Thomas Jane, Neil McDonough, and Molly Parker. Hey, MJ. Hey, mate. What I do like about Podmas is that I feel like we're really buying into this whole podcast culture. Like, prior to doing this podcast, I was unaware of Podmas being a thing. Well, that... It's more a vlogger thing, I think, like videos, but... But Podmas, Podmas sounds, sounds so good. Better, doesn't it? it does. It sounds very Christmassy. So, hang on. What do, what do your video bloggers call it? Vlogmas. Vlogmas. Yeah, Vlogmas. Podmas, Podmas is great. I like it too. And our fans are crying out for more content, so... <laughs> Every day, they're, they're not going to get sick of us. I like hope, it. I Let's, uh, you know what? If this goes well, I reckon we could do it next year as well. Just, yeah, I reckon we could. we could come up with a funny name for Easter and get <laughs> down to Easter. Uh, we, we still need to have time for our own personal lives. <laughs> true, 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 true. All right, well, we always kick off our show with our fast flicks where we do a summary of the film. MJ, start us off. 1922 follows the personal events of Wilfred James during the year of 1922 when he commits an insidious act and slowly deals with the consequences of his actions. Very nice. I've said a man and a son must come to terms with murder and the guilt it brings. I've labelled that uh, crime straight out there. Not a heist. Not this, a... Um, this fast flicks kind of wrote itself. I reckon I could have written 15 different fast, fast flicks. Fast flicks. Yeah. Flicks. Flicks. Yeah, right. yeah. All right. Well, what's, let's get into what we know about this film, what we've learned about it. I think I'll start off straight away. It's based on a Stephen King novella of the same name, mm. which was, um, yeah, I think it was in the Dark Skies one. What's it called? <laughs> Full Dark, No Stars, no stars. Yes. published in 2010. Um, you've read a lot of Stephen King. Have you read this? I haven't read it, no. Okay. No. Do you own that novella? Um, yep, I can see it right now. Oh, can you? Yep, it's over there on the shelf. I have two versions of this because... And you haven't read either? No, I haven't read either. So they put it out... Um, so I got always buy Stephen King the first week of release. So I got the softback bigger version of it and then when they released in paperback the small version they added an extra short story in it so I re-bought it yeah Um, you're gonna have to read it then mate yeah so this was the sixth adaptation story by Stephen King in 2017 just that year yeah Uh, The Mist The Dark Tower It Gerald's Game and Mr. Mercedes apart from 1922 of course so Mr. Mercedes is TV The Mist was a TV black series sorry yep um, Dark Tower was a film. It was a film. It was a film. And Gerald's Game Gerald's was a film, was a film that we yeah, covered a couple of days ago. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, how long ago was that? <laughs> um, this got me thinking, right? How many adaptations does Stephen King have? Heaps. He's got like a whole page on Wikipedia with all his adaptations. Well, I didn't, yeah, I did a bit of looking. It's kind of a bit of a gray area when you consider like TV and film and whether a film has been remade twice or whether it's got a sequel, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. But I, I can safely say I reckon he's got over 60 TV and film adaptations. Nicholas Sparks <laughs> is second of living authors mm-hmm. with 11. That's it's insane. Big difference. Big it is difference. insane. Six of them were this year. I'm oh, sorry, six of them six in, with the in year this, was, this yeah. was made. I don't know if I've said this before. It's like Stephen King has a really good... Um, you know, connection with his community. So if you're a, a film student and you want to adapt one of his 
stories as a project, he will give you the rights for a dollar. All you got to do is send him a dollar. Have you? Are you going to reference this film right now? No, I wasn't. No. Well, so Zach Hilditch, the yeah. director, read nineteen twenty two. Yeah. Was blown away. He wrote to Stephen King, asking if he could proceed with an adaptation, and Stephen King was like, "Yep, you can adapt it." And obviously, then the real fun started with with having to get it financed or whatever. Yeah. So he wrote he wrote the adaptation. Stephen King was like, "I like it. Good." Good. You can go get it adapted. And then, so Zach Hilditch is Australian, uh, yep. director of These Final Hours, which is a very good film, very good Australian film. I only picked up on him being Australian. When I was watching the credits at the end, a lot of the effects were done in Western Australia. And I was like, this is random as. And then I look, I'm like, ah, oh, this is the guy that did These Final Hours. So he teamed up with a producer in America called Ross Dinnerstein. Um, so when the adaptation landed in Ross's lap and he loved it, he basically said to Zach, got a bit of a in with Netflix right now. I want to do this on Netflix. Do you want to do it? And he's like, yes. <laughs> um, so it was like one of those situations where the planets just aligned. But it's interesting you said that about Stephen King because all he did was read a book, love the book, and said, can I adapt it? And Stephen King said, go for your life. The the dollar thing only works if you're not making money off it though. So it's so he would have he would have paid Stephen King a bit more than a dollar. Um, well, maybe initially to write the adaptation, adaptation yeah. and then... When Stephen King was like, "This is a good adaptation,", good adaptation yeah. then the money starts starts to come in. Yeah. So yeah. So if you yeah, he'll happily give you the rights if you're doing a, a student film. I can adapt one of his films with you can a, for a dollar. Send him a dollar. I can do it regardless. I just won't have it anyway. It's going to sit on my laptop. <laughs> uh, good one. All right. Um, what else? What else did we learn? So that was oh yeah, that was obviously really cool about um, about the actual how it all came together. So Thomas Jane, the guy. Um, who plays one of the main characters in this? The, Wolf, main, character. the main character, Wolf. Wolf. Um, so he's been in two other Stephen King films, mm. The Mist and Dreamcatcher. Yeah, Both good films. Remember him in Dreamcatcher. Dreamcatcher is notoriously slammed. Hmm, I liked it. Uh, I didn't mind it as well. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember him in Dreamcatcher though. I couldn't remember him. Um, I also loved. Obviously, they had to work with a lot of rats in this <laughs> film. Sure did. Um, and I love the idea. Apparently, Thomas Jane was basically like in character on set most of the time and just like didn't care about the rats at all, which was awesome. Good on him. He was amazing. Um, and Molly Parker, who, as you could probably understand, was a bit closer to the rats <laughs> in, some, in some of her scenes, um, had a fair bit of trouble with them, but she sort of battled through it. And um, I just... But Zach Hildich basically said, like, I don't ever want to work with rats, rats again, again in the film. Yeah. Although he did mention that... They hire rat wranglers who, in this case, it was a family, um, and they basically had 200 rats in tubs. He would explain the shot to them, and then it would just kind of happen. And everything that they thought might be impossible for rats to do, they were like, oh, no, we can train a rat to do that. We'll be fine. Which is awesome. Crazy yeah. that a rat can be trained to do something, but... There you go. That's what we look. That's what we want to talk about when we talk about film history. <laughs> rats. <laughs> How they train the rats. There's um. So we we've, we're giving away spoilers already. So if you do want to watch this, go and watch it now. Um. There's a, a scene or part of the film is that Wilf's in this hotel room, and the hotel room is two oh nine, and this is uh meant to be like a haunted sort of number in hotels. And I was, I was a little. I thought this was a perfect opportunity to have a Stephen King reference. I thought you could have labelled this room two three seven. Exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> okay. That is why. I like really, when it was 209, I'm like, what does it say? Yeah. What does it say? I'm like, 209? What's, yeah. 
What's 209? But it checks out. I Googled it. Yeah. Room 209 has lots of like haunting. Yeah. 237 would have been so much better. Would have been almost too much. That would have been great. (laughs) Although, room 237 is Kubrick's adaptation. Correct. In the actual book, it's different. Different. I don't... So it would have been interesting to see Mm. what Rudy had gone down. So this was filmed between the 30th of September 2016 and the 4th of November 2016. So a nice little month, I guess, a bit over a month. On um, Stephen King's official website, it says that 1922, when he wrote it, was inspired by a nonfiction book called The Wisconsin Death Trip from the 1970s. And the book, it's a collection of photographs which include haunted photos and details of like these scandals and crimes that took place in this small town in Wisconsin. And um, Stephen King said he was impressed by the rural isolation of the photographs and the harshness and the deprivation in the faces of the subjects. And he said, I wanted to get that feeling in my story. I love that. How good's that? And like, can you imagine someone with the mind of Stephen King getting that first burst of inspiration? Yeah. What <laughs> his mind must be going through. With like, it. Oh, it's insane. I love that. So this debuted at the Fantastic Fest in USA on the 23rd of September, 2017. Okay. And then hit Netflix worldwide on the 20th of October. It's filmed in and around Vancouver yeah. in Canada. And it was nominated and won a couple of awards too. It was winner of Best Casting in a Motion Picture at the Leo Awards Leo Awards in 2018. And mm. also had three other nominations yeah. as well. Um, you said Vancouver, yeah? Yeah. So I think they had a lot of trouble finding a set or a location that had the house that they wanted with corn a barn fields. and the cornfields. Corn yeah. So basically they found like the perfect house, didn't have a barn. So they kind of had to put up like a facade of a barn and then obviously film those scenes other way. But Cornfield was nowhere near where they were. So they had to go to a completely different location just to shoot the Cornfield Cornfield. shots as well. Yeah, very good. The consensus for this one? It was pretty good. Positive. Yeah. 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. 90? On 40 reviews. That's pretty good. Pretty good. The audience was at 57% though. That's quite different. 1600. (laughs) It's very different. Wow. Usually they're not nah. that, that big a difference, but that's quite different. Well, this got a 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb from just under 40,000. That's a lot. So, yeah, that's tons. That's <laughs> almost the most we've ever had on yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and three out of five on Letterboxd from 18,000. So pretty robust sample sizes. Mm. Um, a three out of five, which is, you know, basically similar to the IMDb 6.3 out of 10. I think they're good scores. I, I think Decent. That's, you take that. Well, Anything else, or can we talk about our early thoughts? Um, yeah, no, I think... Right, well, what, what did you think? I think you've covered everything off. for me. I enjoyed it, yeah. I, it had its moments, and I thought the pacing, especially early, was a bit wishy-washy, um, but it kind of settled nicely into its groove. Um, I enjoyed the darkness to the story. The period stuff was pretty good, and Thomas Jane was awesome. Hmm. Good, yeah, I... I always have these high expectations going into a Stephen King film because I'm like, oh, I really want to like this. And I did like this as well. And I liked that it didn't go for those jump scares all the time or anything like that. But it had you worried the whole time. I was going to yeah, say... There was this tension the whole time. This didn't feel like a Stephen King um, movie. It was a bit like Gerald's Game almost. Yeah, mm. similar. This felt... This was quite a simple, straightforward narrative. Hmm. I was actually expecting some sort of twist Oh, we've already spoken about spoilers, so... <laughs> I was expecting some sort of twist at the end because they kept, obviously, having 
the voiceover where it was him in the future. Yep. I was expecting something to happen that I would have, it would have seemed obvious that I would have missed and then it comes out and I go, oh, what a great twist. And it didn't have any of that. It was, it was a really clear cut narrative. This happens, this happens, these are the consequences, film over, um, which is fine, which is fine. I just, it didn't feel King to me. This, and this is probably some of like King's better adaptations are the ones that are based on these short stories that have yeah. a conclusion like Stand By Me really and, did, yeah, and Shawshank. Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. They've just got this... Yeah, he, yep. he doesn't have that opportunity to uh, go into a lot of detail, so I guess it, it makes it a bit easier to adapt. Stephen King's going to be one of the one guys who writes short stories and when he writes a long novel, he writes a beast of a mm. novel. Like He's punching out you know, sometimes up to 1,500 pages mm. sometimes, so... Um, I can imagine this would be a lot less daunting to, to try and adapt. <laughs> Definitely. All right, well, let's have a look at some characters. Uh, let's do it. Wilfred. Wilfred. Well, Wilfred, he's the character, right? This is his film. Yep. Um, he actually never really felt like a bad dude to me. <laughs> just, <laughs> just killed his wife. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to call it he succumbed to the man inside him. Um, and at that point of his life, he was too single-minded to veer off track from from that decision. Um, his story is very different in 2019, which is why it works in 1922. Yep. Um, you know, he sets it up as, you know, selling a man's land is basically taking away his dignity. You know, a wife disobeying her husband or even walking out on her husband is complete embarrassment. Um, so he justifies his decision and, and the fact that we're on his side as an audience, we're, we're shown his point of view as an audience, Um we kind of understand the decision. It doesn't make it easy. Um, but the commentary of the film and the commentary of the narrative is that everything that happens after him shows you that what he did was pretty wrong. <laughs> <laughs> really? But I didn't mind him. Did you, like... He was a man's man. So, to me, all he... That's why I didn't mind him. <laughs> <laughs> well, all he cared about was, his, like I said, his land and his son. And he'd do anything to protect both of those, including murdering his wife. Spoiler Don't lose alert. sight of the fact that it's 1922. Correct. You've got to always keep that in the back of your mind. Still, 1922, it's still not... No, no, it's not legal to murder your wife. I get that. Uh, he was manipulative and he was willing to use his son's insecurities to satisfy his. That's that's what I saw him as. He was this guy that... He blatantly said it. Yeah. Like, I, I picked that one up. That's good. I'm glad. Because he said at the time, um, Henry was... Uh, what was the girl's name that he was seeing that he knocked up? Shannon. Shannon. That Henry was, you know, pretty keen on Shannon and, and um, he was Wilfred gonna was going to gonna use that. Yeah. yeah, use that against him. He was manipulative, wasn't he? Very. In, in everything he did. Everything. Yeah. Well, what about his wife, Arlette? Yeah, I definitely sympathise with her. You know, she made Wilf's life hard, especially in her role as like a 1920s housewife. Um, but... We've got to remember, we're watching this film in 2019 or 2017 when it was made. So we've got the context of what he's doing. Is We don't have the context of how much dignity he's losing by this stuff happening, right? So you can't help but think that murdering your wife is an insane over-exaggeration. Um, so it's hard not to feel a bit sorry for her. But that's my practical mind assessing the situation. Mm. My emotional mind watching the film who was already in Camp Wilf at that point, mm. was actually kind of happy to see it done. and But I think I was also just really excited about where the movie would head after that. Yeah. But, you know, she, <laughs> I don't want to say she deserved it because she didn't deserve it, but like... I think they wanted you to 
think or feel that she was selfish and that she only cared about herself. Whereas I thought she just wanted to get out and have a fresh start. She, well, just, you, she just wanted nothing to do. I completely understood yeah. where she was coming yeah. from. I completely yeah. understood it. And, and when he was going to kill her, I was like, this is weird. You don't need to kill her. Mm-hmm. But then I guess maybe I'm watching a movie and I'm like, well, I, I want to see you kill her. Like, I want to see where this goes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a tricky one. Very so, tricky. But as a character, I never really liked her. So I never really... I, I, they didn't give you the opportunity to like her. Because no, they, they really they, don't. I don't think they wanted you to like her because they did want you to side with him. They did. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. And they do it well. Um, but as I said, you can break this down with your practical mind and go, ah, oh, you know, she wasn't that bad. She just wanted to get out of here because, you know, yeah. she was living in the middle of nowhere with people who didn't really like her. You know, credit to her. Get out of there. But. Uh, Henry, the son. I thought he was just this young, naive kid who do anything for love. That that was all. That was what I felt for him. He was. He was also... Reckless. Corrupted by his father. Father, yep. His behaviour. Like, you, you, you see him steadily start to hate himself um, and this growing abandonment of his own father because his father was the reason that he hates himself and you see that really happening really steadily with Henry and the remorse comes straight away and that leads to that real toxic behaviour that it gets to. I just... I had a lot of trouble believing every character that wasn't Wilfred because Wilfred was so... because Thomas Jane was so good Mm. and... I felt like Thomas Jane was in 1922. I didn't feel like anyone else was. Okay. And I had a, a lot of trouble getting into any other character. I don't know. Did you? No. I, Maybe I, it was just... I believed we, the, the time and yeah, what was going on. So He, he yeah. was just way too good for me. But, um, yeah, Henry's downfalls were... Yeah, he was, he was a bit soft early and then he was corrupted yep. and that was too late. Yep. And Shannon, the his... Girlfriend, I, I just felt bad for her. She was just this innocent kid who was caught up in this, really. She was collateral damage, wasn't she? Yep. Any other characters you want to talk about? Um, I just wanted to mention Harlan, yep. the next-door neighbour. Again, my practical mind, I was trying to think about this after the film. He's a really decent guy. Hmm. Despite being represented in some capacity as the enemy to Wilf in some of these situations... He definitely handled his adversity with a hell of a lot of class. Yep. He never expected money from Wilf when he got knocked up, which is basically the custom. Hmm. Um, yeah, he, he even bargained him down and said, look, just... He said, I don't have to give me this. Now. And then he goes, what if I don't give it... What if I can't give yeah. it to you? And he goes, if you don't give it to me, then, you know, it is what it is. Hmm. But don't tell me you can't give hmm. it to me. So he was handled that really well. And then when, you know, his daughter died, basically because of Wilfred's son. Yep. He sort of, in a really decent way, told Wilf not to come back. Yeah, just go it away. It was a generous sort of conversation. Um, yeah, it's interesting when you <clears throat> when you paint a character as he's not the enemy, but he is the opposite of what Wilf wants at times. He's on the other he's on the other side of the ledger of what Wilf wants. Yeah. So you're supposed to when you're siding with Wilf, you're like this guy's a bad guy, but he was just such a decent guy, and I love the fact that. They, they, they didn't shy away from making him a good guy because hmm. I'm waiting for him to do something like a real prick. And he, Neil McDonough. And surely you can't hold it again. He's got running water. So I'm not yeah, going to hold it against him for that. It's like that family guy clip <laughs> of um, when Thomas Edison, have you seen the one where Thomas Edison discovers electricity yeah. and he's like the first worst and he's like playing music 
across the road and like rocking out and they're just like can you just turn it down like we're freezing our asses over here like it's like sorry I can't hear you I got really good um, but Neil McDonough though like I'm trying to think when I've seen him when I think I've seen him he plays like M. Bison in one of the Street Fighter movies or something ah, cool. and so I just think of him as a bad, bad dude <laughs> so that, I had trouble with that too but he was a really good character yeah good alright well we spoke a little bit about Zach um, Hilditch. Hilditch as a director so it's his sixth feature um Went to Curtin Uni in WA, which I thought was a cool little thing. Um, anything else about him? Not no. really, yeah. Th- these final hours was kind of his main, main break. I think he got nominated for a bunch of awards in Australia. For that. If you haven't seen These Final Hours, it's a really good end of the world kind of movie. Have you seen it? Really yep. good end of the world. I, w- I saw it at the cinemas and I walked out and there was a... I walked out and there was a shop that had like a closing down sale. <laughs> and I'm just trying to think what the, the line was on the window or something. It said like... Um, like end of the world sale or something and I was like whoa what have I just walked out into um, but a really good film if you haven't seen it and you want to watch it I highly recommend it and the, what about the performances in this I thought it was pretty, they were pretty good I thought Thomas Jane was insane yeah. I, I, yeah I can't stress that enough I honestly felt like he was a farmer from 1922 That's, I, I couldn't believe him anymore good alright well, let's talk about some scenes yep tell me what did you like um, what did I like I liked a uh, voiceover at the start when he's talking about what his options are and why he does what he does and he was thinking like, you know, I could have done it for this, could have done it for that and he goes, but I had come to hate her hmm. uh, and that got me really interested. It was a bit of a, I think I said it before, it was a bit of a wishy-washy slow start for me. The pacing was weird. I didn't quite know how much time was passing and what was happening and when it was happening. But when he said I'd come to hate her, that really stood out for me and I'm like, all right, let's do this. You're in. Um, I'm going to say a scene that I liked was the murder scene um, just because of the sheer intensity of it and the balls to bite off a scene like that and do it the way they did it was pretty pretty nuts like I always just tried to put my I was almost whether I tried or not was putting myself in Henry's shoes I'm like how are you doing this to your mum like it's crazy and the fact that they you know kind of stuffed it up a little bit and but there's one of those scenes that you remember that you watched yeah, you, you know. do. It was t- tough to watch. That was probably like I watched that during. The, I watched this film during the day, mm. and I struggled at times because of. And this is where sometimes it's good to watch it in a cinema. There are a lot of dark scenes, yeah. and that was one of the scenes. It was hard to see what was actually going on. The curtains. Not and no, not in the room mm. that I watched the the TV. So yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I think I would. I definitely watch this at night. night yeah. But even if I watch a movie during the day, I try and get as dark, dark as, possible. as possible. Yeah. This movie, especially, I could imagine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it just after that when he threw the suitcase down and it kind of highlights how he'd really thought things through. Um, I liked it because I just wasn't expecting him to have put that much thought into it. And you find out he slips up only with the shoes and that's about it. About it, yeah. The fact that he doesn't take all the clothes, the fact that he thinks of it as if she's just walked away and ran away, it was good. Um, and then near the end now we're talking about the scene where he sees Henry's body after he's been killed. I really felt that scene and he, and he put his hand on him and said, my boy, um, yep. this is the one thing that he wanted to protect. This is the one thing that he's supposed to get out of all this was the legacy for his son to take over the farm. Yeah. Um, the final scene that I, that I want to mention is the irony of him ending up in Omaha doing factory work. <laughs> where his wife was going to go. Where they were going to go. Um, highlighted by the voiceover, basically talking about there was another way. There always is. I mean, of course there was, right? Like, at the time, you're so into his, like, 
this is the only way. And you're like, oh, you know what? This is the only way. But like, how can there not have been another way? No way. But I, I love the fact that it takes this movie for you to be like, oh God, yeah. <laughs> Oops, shouldn't have got on side with him. I, I like it too. He's doing this like lifting pallets and stuff and he's only got one hand. Like, yeah. I don't know how he's doing it. He's East. Hard worker. All right, well, some things, like, it's good because I think I've got completely different uh, oh, good. scenes good. to you, which is nice. So I, I did like the, the setup of this father and son relationship through a few of the opening scenes. Like, you know, they're out there working the fields together, sitting on the porch for the, you know, for the first half of this film, these two are inseparable, like as a father and son and sort of made you understand why it was important for them to stay together yeah. and why it was going to be such a big thing for, um, you know, Henry to be separated with mum in another city. It's actually one thing that I, I read a synopsis. I think it might've even been the Netflix one before I click play. And it said something like, father convinces his son to kill his mother. And I was like, first I was like, whoa, Jesus. <laughs> and then, so I was watching out for that. Like, how is this guy going to convince his son, son. to kill her own, his own mum? Yep. And you know what? I didn't quite, like, it was still a little bit, you still had to give him a bit of a leap of faith yeah. for doing that kind of act. That sort of leads into the next bit. I liked that in these voiceovers that, you know, Wilf acknowledged that um, he had more regret for involving his son more than he did for actually killing his wife. Yeah. Uh, I did like that. Um, I thought the gross scenes with all the rats were really well done. Like the rats in the ullet's mouth and oh, yeah. biting the cow's udder. Oh, um, yeah. And then when it bit Wilf's hand. Yeah. Like there were just some real graphic, like nice little practical effects. Yeah, um, it was. That were done it really with them. was. They were good. I, li- I really enjoyed that. They never put this face to that Farrington farm stock company. So this is the company that's got the money that wants to buy the land and it was like, they're just always there in the background. They were almost the villain to me. They were these, these, these faceless villains that were in the background that created this tension, created these events from happening. Yeah. Okay. Without, a, without their offer to buy the land, there was no reason for Arlette to, to get, to get out. Yeah. In the first place. You could also see him as Wilfred's own pig-headedness to not move with the times. Yeah. yeah. True. The, the cow falling down the well. Oh, this is in my bad scene, Jesse. I didn't think they were going to do it. Jesse, this is this is not in your good scenes. I I I think it's not that I liked the scene. I just think that it was when the cow the, got on there. What do you think they were going to do? I didn't think they were going to go through it. I thought they were going to be like, <laughs> I thought they were going to be like, no, nah, we can't do this. We're going to move the cow. Oh, they just killed their mum and wife. Yeah, no, but I thought this would be like the complete um, opposite. You know, they're happy to kill the wife, and they're like, uh, no, we can't. that would have been really good actually. Because and then at the end, you're like, you've got the cow that lives with him in the house almost. So I was like. Oh. I don't know, yeah. So that like broke my heart mm. when that happened. And then the sheriff didn't even look at it. Mm. So they didn't even have to do yeah. it. Yeah. Like, oh, poor Elphus. Let's RIP Elphus. That was the cow's, cow's name. name. I, th- I thought that um, when Henry takes that car to school, he's like, oh, I'm taking the car to school. Wilf knew he wasn't coming back. And that to me was this signal of his downfall. Um, do you think he knew he was coming back? Because that was, so as soon as he left in that car, that was when he starts going inside and looking for the money all throughout the house. And to me, that was the first sign of him sort of losing it. He's going through the house, looking at all these, you know, jars and nooks and crannies. And he, he just couldn't, you know, that was him sort of. I did like out. it that they didn't, they, they kind of gradually let him lose it. Like in one of the first few nights, he, he kept seeing Arlette. Hmm. Like he saw a silhouette. Yeah, just, so it's like straight away, it's like this is playing on his playing mind. His mind, yeah. And then it just got next level. Um, I enjoyed the the vision of Arlette sort of sitting there informing Will Wilf of what had happened to Henry and the eventual death. I just thought that was really well done. 
Yeah. Um, that was the only somewhat fantastical scene, but obviously that was his mind just being, being yep. completely haunted by what he did. Yeah. And then finally, I, I liked there's this. So, um, Will, through the winter, manages to get to hospital, hand gets amputated, and he's just lying there on that hospital bed. And the sheriff's going through this story. Oh, you know, I think we may have found your wife's body. Um, and this was his one chance to come clean. He could have come clean here and gone or like taken some responsibility. And that was his chance gone. And I just really liked that the whole wall was bare except this crucifix above his bed. And I was like, this, this is, that's perfect imagery of, um, where he's at as a yeah, character. Yeah, right. Did you ever think he was going to come clean in that scene? Probably not. Um, Probably not. But I was like, I don't know. He had that opportunity. Because that explains why the sheriff... Because the sheriff picked him up from his house when it was when he was basically with his hand. And, yep. So the sheriff's obviously driven over to tell him about Arlette or who he thought was Arlette. And then, thank God, because found him and, and yeah. saved him, basically. Yeah. All right. Well, what were some scenes that are forgettable? Um, to me, it was... The cow scene, which... Yeah. The cow scene, man. That... that... That was rough, but where she, where Arlette got really drunk before she died, um, and started talking about her son hooking up with um, Shannon. Yep, it felt really off-brand for nineteen twenty-two. Um, the language that she used didn't seem like the way that you would speak to anyone, let alone your son, and that kind of took me out of it a little bit. It almost felt like you're you want me to hate this character. Okay, you you want to give me a reason, reason to justify her dying. Her dying. Yep. Okay, um, and apart from the cow scene, that's all I had. I didn't have anything. I didn't have any car. I can't believe you had the cow scene, man. I, it wasn't that I liked that. I was just like, I couldn't I believe know, they did yeah, that. I know, But when the cow got on there... it got me. That's why... And I, the things are creaking. I'm like, don't do this. Yeah. Don't you dare. Like, the cow just got... Oh. Yeah. Ever yeah, since I had dogs, I've become such a softy <laughs> yeah, for animals. animals. All right, well, what's, uh, what's the film trying to say? What are some themes? Uh, a lot of it's obviously the themes are to do with... Well... Rather than obviously guilt, like let's talk about guilt, but yep. I love that I, I, the rats basically represent, represent guilt. guilt. Good, I've got that too. The fact that they're obviously what a rat is, you know, it's a rot, it's rotten, it's mm-hmm. a nuisance, which is like his guilt, but the beauty of it, it was never far away. It's yep. always there, impacting everything in his life. And this was compounded by the fact that uh, it's Henry, his corpse, had been eaten by rats yep. at the end. Um, and I'll, like, so yeah, so the, the rats beat him. Ate Henry's face, and then even he's working at, in Omaha, and Still those rats there. are just sitting there watching him. It was yeah, and then obviously through the wall in the Riding hotel room too. Well, that's the thing that they just they've been there. You get the vibe. So what was nineteen thirty? Was that the year that he was writing the yes? Notes? So it's been eight years, yep. and you just get the feeling that this is every single moment of his life. Yep. it's just nonstop, nonstop. Um, yeah, and I guess that also sort of comes to do with consequences and the most literal quote at the end of the film in the end we all get caught we all get caught yeah there's you know there's this idea of masculinity in the 1920s too yeah um you know house land being in control of your your house your home and obviously he'd lost a bit of control in that house and he did what he thought he needed to do to sort of fix that situation i guess yeah um and then there's another idea too that money fixes everything because with money then this probably wouldn't have but then, like, he, he still wanted the land, I guess. Yeah, for him, land was land was everything. It was land and his son. But I, I guess he explicitly says that at the very start. Yeah. But you get that. That's what it was like. Um, land. Can you imagine? I, I was thinking this. 
Can you imagine how much that, that land would be worth now? <laughs> like, what did he have? A thousand <laughs> yeah. acres and eight hundred acres. The mortgage was seven hundred fifty bucks. Or something. Yeah, not bad. Um, there's there was a little bit of regret towards the end too. He, he sort of regretted that he didn't do it in a different way, and he didn't, you know, listen to his son and and actually not follow through with this murder. I guess mm. madness too, like this this guilt eating away um, at his mental um, capacity. Good versus evil. Who's good? Who's evil? And he, he who did, is good in this? I don't know. I don't know if any of the characters are. Well, are the neighbors are Shane. the neighbors good, and they just got they just got sucked into the evilness from next door, possibly because Shannon and the dad seem like pretty seem good, like pretty good people. They're just doing well, yeah. But they just got caught in the the Wilfred tornado. Yeah, and they made some comment too about the fairness of life. Life isn't necessarily fair, and I like this idea too that and he spoke about with guilt and this, these rats. So Wilfred was like a rat in a trap. It was just always that, that trap was going to close at him at any yeah, stage. He did well to last. <laughs> he did. He did well. All right. Well, what did we take away from this film? For me, there was this overarching feeling of anticipation throughout. Like I was always interested to see what was going to happen. Yep. I think particularly with the way it was set up with the voiceover based in the future. Mm-hmm. And now like, you didn't know how far in the future that was. That could have been 15 years. That could have been two years. Yep. You know, he looked a bit different, but not particularly different. So you know that Wolf gets out of this situation, but you're not sure what the damage, damage. is. Yeah. And that kept me interested from the very start. I'm like, okay, where are you going, Wolf? Yep. Where is this going to end up? And that was probably the main the main positive of this film. Yeah, I, it was a slow burner. And I do feel like it could have been a little bit tighter at, at, at times. Yep. Like it was... A ninety minute take ten minutes off this, and it's a really tight little yeah. film. Um, but I, de- I wasn't bothered by the the running time. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's definitely an art 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 housey type of film. Yeah, ish. But as I said, like it's a it's a really simple, straightforward narrative. You mm. could put this movie on and basically switch your brain off, and you don't really miss much. There's stuff to dissect in it. Yeah, but you can watch this film from start to finish, and you you still get, you get the what, experience. But I guess maybe when you look back at that. Um, audience reception on Rotten Tomatoes and it was so differing yeah, compared true. to the critics and maybe I don't know that's well we just spoke about sort of themes there and, yeah. and there's a lot to it which I guess could be missed mm. but from from a pure plot narrative perspective there's nothing hiding no, no not at all anything else about your takeaways uh, no, not so no. much. It would have been great on a big screen, just purely because of the the lighting. <laughs> like it's, it's yep, same for me. Dark films. Well, I should have watched places. this at night time. <laughs> yeah, live and learn. My, my you should have known, mate. You just look at the poster. <laughs> yeah, true. All right. Well, we'd like to check in on when we used IMDb mm. during watching this film. What What did you look up? Uh, again, I shouldn't have. I, uh, look, Molly, Molly, <laughs> Molly Parker. I was pretty sure. When I saw her, but it's um, she was in a film we did recently, Small Crimes. Yeah, so she played Charlotte in Small Crimes, and you know what? I don't think she was great in any of the film. Um, yeah, um, jury's out on Molly Parker for me. Ooh. She also was Jackie Shark in House of Cards because she was my IMDb when I watched Small Crimes. <laughs> so um, I also did um, Sheriff Jones, played, me too, played by Brian Darcy James. Yep, uh, who is the dad, Andy. Baker from 13 Reasons Yeah, Hannah Baker's dad. I had that down as well. I had three, so I did both those as well. Can you believe we've had both of Hannah Baker's parents in our Netflix films? Netflix films, yeah. Recently. Netflix like to keep it in-house. Yeah. So yeah, so I, I looked up Molly Parker. I looked up Brian Darcy James. The last one I looked up to was um, Harlan. I looked up right. Neil McDonough. Um, he's been in so much stuff. Yeah, and that's I kind of just know him. 
suits and sort of those DC shows from like Arrow and the Flash are the main oh, yeah. ones that I recognize him from. Yeah. Is he villainous in, in yep. yeah, he's just got that face, hasn't he? Yeah. That's why I actually think he was probably badly cast in this. Mm. It would have been nice to see just like a nice next one over. All right, well, I've got some questions. I want to answer them. Okay, so my one's about Harlan. I'm just sort of segueing into this one. So Good one. I didn't think that his like his ending wasn't happy either. He'd lost his wife, his daughter, and his property. Do you, his like, ending was atrocious. Hmm. <laughs> Did he really deserve that? It's very true. I don't. I don't think he deserved that. I'd like to think the wife was just a bit of a kick in the dick, wasn't it? Like mm. there was nothing to suggest that, that should have happened. Mm. But I guess that was like, highlighting the the toxicity that was coming off their involvement with Wilf in any way. Yep. I'd like to think that he sold the house for a bit more. Maybe he was a bit more savvy about the sale, maybe a bit less desperate because they did make a point, point saying he lasted longer. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, they oh. were that family was the collateral damage of... Wilfred. Yeah, the James's uh, just complete chaos next door. Anything else? Uh, I would like to ask you a question. Yep. And I want you to answer it. This is not one of those ones that I ask a question. You're like, oh, yeah, good question. How would you tell this story in 2019? If the same thing happened yeah. in, say, the film is called 2019. Yeah, and sure. it's about a husband murdering his wife. Is that what we're saying? How would you tell it? Yep. How's like it in the narrative perspective or... In- so what's the... Obviously, you are not going to murder her in her sleep and put her down a well. Yeah. How, how does that play out? Why do they fight in the first place? I guess you're probably looking at a courtroom drama with litigation and true, yeah. I get, I don't know. That's why. So how how does how does the husband kill the wife? I think it's got to be some sort of cyber. Oh, so if so, you're saying the husband actually kills the wife? Oh yeah, he kills her. Oh. But how does he go about it? Because we'll like, try to cover it up. We'll thought this out, even though he didn't have much to think out because it was a lot easier back then. I'm just I was just thinking like this story is so based at its time. True. <sighs> I don't know what are the the ones that have been in the news like the guy that took his wife out scuba diving or something uh, or like yeah, the yeah, balcony okay. ones what about yeah once upon a time in Hollywood yeah how, how they say Brad Pitt, Pitt killed his wife out in a boat <laughs> yeah maybe something like that I don't know I was just trying to think how it would work because the story itself's got nice depth to it so <laughs> if you can somehow portray a story and, and get the kids involved too <laughs> Getting the kids involved too is rough. That's real too rough, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's why this story is very much set very in set the time. Very set in the time, yeah, exactly. I've got one more. Yeah. Why was it important, and it might be an obvious answer, but why do you think it was important for Wilfred to actually write his story in the end about what had happened and actually admitting to the crimes? Was it just that he wanted closure himself before he died? Because, but he never got to live to feel that closure. So I was a little bit, I don't know why he needed to write it down. Well, I, the whole thing is about guilt. So yeah. this is him admitting to his crimes, crimes and therefore admitting to his guilt in some capacity. But if he did that, then why did the rats not disappear? Because if he's finally admitted to the... I don't, I don't think it... If, if, if writing the letter meant that he was going to be free guilt from his free, guilt, yeah. yeah. He's not guilt I think free. it was... And maybe even in respect to his son, um, this is why my son's so fucked up. <laughs> like... Um, yeah. yeah, it had it, it, the the underlying theme of this film was guilt, and yep. that was is also just a really cool technique to yeah to go through. But yeah, let's let's go with the guilt factor. <laughs> All right, we good to wrap this up. Yeah, and the story had to be told. It like, did. Yeah, so we go around the table, or we give our ratings out of five. Other. Talk to each other, <laughs> say what we think of the film, and then uh, give it an overall rating out of five. So MJ, go for it. 
Um, I thought it was a pretty easy watch. Uh, and despite a few issues I had early on with the pacing, uh, I settled into it nicely. I was drawn in by Thomas Jane's performance. I enjoyed the darkness of the story. It was a simple narrative with a slightly off-center premise, and I give it three stars. Very nice. Well, I thought this was one that you had to stick with. The first three quarters of the film was about the consequences and actions, and you didn't get like the full Stephen King vibe until the closure almost. Um, I still thoroughly enjoyed what it had to say about guilt, like we've spoken about, and I'm giving it a four out of five. Four? Yeah, I'm giving it a four. So I don't even need the calculator for that one. I think we can work that one out. It's an average of a... It's much easier with two two of us. (laughs) I think that's a three and a half. Yeah, it's a three and a half. Yeah, which is nice. So uh, we are... We're getting some big scores without him. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to look at us and go, what on earth is going (laughs) on? Everyone's going to look at these flicks forum averages and go, oh, Netflix get really good in about the 50s. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So we're on social media. We're at Flicks Forum on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Question for this week is, in the end, we all get caught. That's from the film. Were you happy with Wilfred's ending? Or would you have preferred to see him get caught by worldly... Um... Oh, you know what? Because I was going to say, no, nah, I wish I had got away with it because I liked him. But yeah, he didn't want to get away with it. Nah, nah he didn't want to go to nah. jail either. Yeah, I'm, You know what? I am satisfied with his ending. Good. I didn't know you'd give this a four, Jesse. I wasn't getting a four vibe from you. Yeah, I held, hit it well. I thought you were going to go higher than three, so I'm uh, yeah, surprised I, I, as well. Yeah, I, I was happy with the with the chat about it. Yeah, oh, three is good. Three is yeah, good score. Good score. All right, well, uh, we're back again tomorrow we for are. day seven of our uh, our Podmas. <clears throat> tomorrow we're doing the 2017 action thriller. It's called Wheelman, and it's directed by Jeremy Rush. Stars Frank Grillo, Garrett Dillahunt, Caitlin Carmichael, and Wendy Manice. So. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing tomorrow. All right. Well, I'll watch that. And then Sounds we'll good. Chat. We'll have a chat again. Cool. As usual, been a pleasure. I will see you very soon. It's getting closer to Christmas movie time. <laughs> We've got some Christmas movies oh, coming oh up. Oh, boy. For, for Podmas. Sounds good. All right. Oh, wow. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye.